Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, still plenty of uh, items from the scouting combine to talk about our long trip from last week. We obviously covered a lot of topics while we were there, but uh, still more to talk about since we've been back. And the one we definitely have to hit on is the linebacker from UCF, Shaq Griffin, I don't remember there ever being a story this good from the combine. I mean, what this guy is doing and the fact that he almost wasn't even invited to be there. And yet he ends up becoming the story of the week in Indy. Uh, Just remarkable what, uh, what Shaq Griffin is doing here. Three reasons why I love this story. One, I mean, if you, if you know anything about him, he does not have a left hand Uh, when he was four years old. uh, He was born with a condition uh, that caused great amount of pain in it, you know, under development. It eventually, they had it amputated when he was four years old. His twin brother, Sequil, is already playing for the Seattle Seahawks. He was a draft pick last year. And it's funny just hearing their banter back and forth. And Shaquam, Shaq, he actually was, like, tweeting out right after he ran the 40 and 4.38, hey, somebody needs to do, like, one of those synchronized things where it's me versus my brother. Yeah. I mean, his personality is just remarkable. It's off the charts. He was by far, I think, the most compelling guy at the podium. And he he talked with the media before he even went and did that 40. It was after he did the 20 bench reps using a kind of a prosthetic that helped him uh, with that as well. He wanted to do six. His max was 11. He did 20. 20. <laughs> and, and the thing I think that, that ties this all together that just makes it such an incredible story is the fact that he said, you know, his whole goal through this thing People say, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't play in the NFL with one arm, one hand. Well, you, and then his, his rebuttal to that was, well, you can't play in the NFL with two hands. What does that <laughs> say about you? I mean, right. the journey this young man has been on to get to this point and then to show out the way he did during the combine, I, I don't know. You'd have to go back. I'm sure there's something in history that has been up there with it, but this is one of the most compelling things that I've, that I've seen on my time. And you know, these guys, these young guys, they all get excited for the combine. Everybody's got the nerves going. You got the adrenaline going, but you just wonder how much adrenaline is going through Shaq Griffin. When, as you said, his previous max on the bench was 11 reps of 225 pounds and he did 20. And then he goes out there for his first 40 yard dash and runs a four, three, eight. And just to put that in perspective, that's the fastest combine 40-yard dash time by a linebacker in 15 years. 2003 yeah. was the last time that somebody, a linebacker, ran a sub 4-4. So it's, it's amazing. This guy almost wasn't invited to the combine. He was a late invite, and everybody's talking about, oh, somebody will take a chance on him in the sixth or seventh round of the yeah. draft. Now you start to wonder, you know, could he actually be drafted on the second day of the draft? Maybe, yeah. maybe as high as a third rounder. When you look at his tape, you look at the college tape and what he's done. I know there are going to be questions. I raised him on on an earlier show before he had gone through all these workouts at the combine. He only he only has the one hand. You're trying you're talking about trying to tackle a guy like a Saquon Barkley who is as dynamic an athlete to uh, to come through the draft. He's going to be po- probably the number 1 overall pick but certainly within the top 2 or 3 picks. How does a guy missing a hand, missing the the lower part of one arm tackle a guy like Saquon Barkley in the open field? But 
you know, I, I'm I'm not saying that I'm I'm not saying that I'm trying to throw out all these doubts about him. I'm kind of done doubting. Yeah. Him. I mean, I, I, now it's like I want to see it. Get out there and play. Let's go. Seriously, after that, I mean, how but how can anybody doubt him? I mean, it's not like he just tested all the world too. He was incredibly productive. I think he was a former Defensive Player of the Year uh, in the American Athletic Conference too. I mean, this is a guy that has been productive at every level of football he's played. The re- the reason I'm really happy that he was able to get to the combine is. It's a level playing field. Whatever you want to say about what these numbers mean, how much it really translates to football, you can have that debate. Right. But there's a difference, Michael, between doing this in Indianapolis and doing this at UCF's Pro Day. Right. Because if it happens at a Pro Day, people are always like, yeah, who is timing it? It's not automatic. I mean, things are, you know, the, the old Ohio State effect on 40 times. I mean, stuff like that. This guy did it. And he did it in front of the scouts. He did it in front of NFL personnel people. And if he's willing and he's able to do this in the highest pressure-packed situation a, a player is going to find himself in the pre-draft process, what's this guy going to do when he's on the field on Sunday? Yeah. What's your sense of where he might go in the draft now? Is he still – is it still just going to be, at the end of the day, a sixth, seventh-round pick, the, the, the shine from the combine will wear off? Or – are these workout is is this going to propel him up to either be an early day three pick or possibly even a late day two pick? Well, first off, I think what this did is it definitely guarantees he's getting drafted. Yeah. I think there was some question about if he could potentially be a late rounder, if he's going to be a priority free agent just because of concerns that you just outlined. He's definitely getting picked now. Yep. He talked about what that moment's going to be like for him, how his brother was all calm and collected. He's not going to be like that whenever it happens. He's going to be through the roof. There will be no, I don't want to say no humility, but there's definitely going to be no hiding his emotions. Now the question is, where is that going to be? That's something that NFL executives are going to have to answer. It's tough, Mike. Uh, Second day draft picks, second and third round, it's tough to get into that category. You've got to be one of the top 100 prospects in the draft to do it. I think it definitely is going to put him in that conversation for fifth and sixth, but you see it every year, man. There's always one team that finds a player they like and they're willing to take him a little earlier and he could potentially sneak into those middle rounds. I think that UCF Pro Day is probably going to go a long way in determining and validating a lot of the things that he did at the Combine. Yeah, if he can if he can match some of those things that he did, at least not fall off in terms of the testing where it isn't just, oh, he had all this right. adrenaline going you know, and whatnot. He but does the, that again? Yeah, Game on. Yeah, but a great story for sure with that. Excuse me. We'll toss it to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz over there. And Wes, in one of our shows from Indy, we talked quite a bit about the Wisconsin Badgers top tight end Troy Fumagalli he's considered uh you know a mid-round draft pick I guess I would say in this upcoming 2018 draft but he was one of six Wisconsin Badgers at the combine and three of those other five are all linebackers and I'm talking about Jack Sitchi, Leon Jacobs and Garrett Dooley you had a chance to sit down with them when uh, they met with the media sounded like uh three old college teammates who were enjoying a little reunion uh, off the football field. Yeah, first and foremost, if Garrett Dooley can find his way to Green Bay, Wisconsin after this draft process, I know the media would be very happy. Uh, <laughs> really, I've by far probably one of my favorite interviews at the Combine. Just a very gregarious guy. 
came the long way to get to where he is, which is a common theme, it seems like, with a lot of these Badgers prospects. But what the NFL actually did on Saturday, they put them all at the same table. Leon Jacobs, <laughs> Garrett Dooley, Jack Sitchy, they were all there. Um, and there's only so many media people from Green Bay. So you pretty much got one-on-one time with all of them if you wanted them. Uh, and it was interesting going back with Dooley and, and replaying this past season and what it was like for them and what those linebackers and what that defense went through when it was told to them that Jack Sitchi would miss the season with that torn ACL. A deflating moment for those guys. And really, uh, it took time. He said it took a good week for them to really compose themselves again and be like, all right, we're not going to have our leader. We're not going to have that emotional presence out there on the field. We all have to elevate our games. And you're talking about a defense that was already preparing because they weren't going to have Vince Beagle and TJ Watt at two of those key linebacker spots because they had been drafted. And then all of a sudden the, the bell cow guy you know, coming back was Jack Sitchie, and now he's out as well. Yeah, and Sitchie even said, too, it was difficult for him. His dad actually got him a journal uh, right after the injury happened, and that allowed him to gather some of his thoughts. And he said that was one of the things that ended up leading to him writing that Players' Tribune piece kind of reflecting on his time in in Madison, the fact he only did play 24 games due to injury. But Sitchi ended up becoming basically a pseudo-coach uh, with the defensive staff throughout the course of the season. And you saw guys like Dooley, who a year earlier had started his first game in the big house, uh, you know, and, and really had to just kind of find his way as a starting outside linebacker. He has seven and a half sacks to lead the defense during his final year. Leon Jacobs, which basically played every position that the Badgers could offer him throughout his five years in <laughs> including Madison. Including fullback, right? Including fullback. Yeah. Well, he ends up moving and starting outside linebacker opposite Dooley and is pretty productive there. The numbers, sacks-wise, probably weren't there, but his athleticism is through the roof. And Dooley even said he's the kind of guy that's just built in a lab, which ended up being pretty much proven correct with the reps that he did on the bench. I think it was 26, and then also his 40 time, which was sub 4-5. A lot of athleticism there. So all these guys are trying to now make their way in the NFL and find a way into that conversation but one thing that definitely helped them they said after being away from each other for really two months after they got done with that bowl game getting back together being able to rekindle a lot of those relationships and as Dooley said to be able to be in Indianapolis trying to really audition for an NFL team you, there's no way better way to do it than with your best friends. Yeah, and two other Badgers who were at the Combine, both defensive backs, cornerback Nick Nelson and safety Natrell Jamerson. But I think the most maybe intriguing one, uh, other than uh, Fumagalli with, uh, with his pedigree and, and what he accomplished over his career, heading into this draft, the intriguing one to me is Sitchi. Yeah. And, I'm not saying that, you know, he would have been talked about, you know, like a, a Miles Jack, one of these top linebackers who then, you know, had this serious knee injury and then you wonder where his draft stock is. But he didn't really get a chance to be the guy at Wisconsin. You know, as I mentioned, Vince Beagle and TJ Watt both get drafted and, and you know, two thousand seventeen was supposed to be Jack Sitchi as the, the center of attention, so to speak, on a very good Wisconsin defense. Right. And that didn't happen. So you just wonder you wonder what that does. You know, I, I would I would have thought, um, you know, for whatever my opinion is worth, that Jack Sitchie, if everything goes according to plan in 2017, he's probably a mid-round draft pick. Now, coming with the injury and everything, you wonder if he's going to get drafted. Will somebody take a flyer on him, so to speak, in the sixth or the seventh round? But there's one thing, one thing about him, I, you know, 
with what he's done in coming back from the knee injury and everything, he certainly it's certainly not going to be for a lack of effort and a lack of work. He's done what it takes to to try to put himself in the best position possible. As Julie said, people gravitate towards him. Uh, whether he was acting as a coach, whether he was on the field, whatever he was doing, people wanted to be like Jack Sitchie, and it's the reason why Dooley said if he could take any teammate into the NFL with him, it would for sure be Sitchie. Now, I was talking with him a little bit. He mentioned he feels like he's 85 to 90% right now. He's hoping to actually – he only really did the bench press at the Combine. I think he did 19 reps of that. He's hoping to be able to do more drills during the Wisconsin Pro Day, which will be coming up later this month. He estimated that he's not that far away from being able to run potentially a 40 but only time will tell. His biggest goal is basically by mid-May, end of May, to be ready to go and to be able to start contributing. Uh, and, and once training camp comes around, show that he's, he's going to be healthy. The one benefit, it's an incredibly big silver lining, but the fact it did happen in August, it's given him seven months to recover and, and hopefully, for his perspective, can keep him in the conversation for playing this season. Yeah, well, one of these uh, Wisconsin Badger stories, very interesting to follow. But with that, we will throw it to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford next to Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, I know in our last show we talked quite a bit about the cornerback position, but uh, we didn't address the safeties. And I think it's worth mentioning a couple of these guys, especially the ones who were being talked about at the top of the draft, because it's almost as though they're not safeties anymore. They're, you know, when you're talking about Alabama's Minka Fitzpatrick, Florida State's Derwin James, probably the first two safeties that are going to go off the board, you're talking about super versatile hybrid type players they can play deep safety they can play in the box they can play slot cornerback I'm sure the hybrid linebacker thing would uh would be right up their alley you know they can blitz off the edge if called upon they can cover one-on-one whether it's tight ends or wide receivers these guys are are the type that are becoming incredibly valuable in the NFL and you can see just you know, not just because of the athletic ability, but overall, they're what they show on tape and all these different things that they do for their college teams and for their college defenses. It just it just elevates their draft stock. I mean, both Fitzpatrick and James, you're talking about potential top ten picks here. Yeah, and for that reason, because versatility and those hybrid traits are so difficult to find, uh, and being able to have people that not only can do that athletically but understand all those different concepts and and various things are being asked of them. Fitzpatrick has a really good background in this. I mean, he had already do some of this in his you know the year before which I believe would be his sophomore year uh, at Alabama Eddie Jackson goes down he was playing star then he has to go and play safety this year they just played him everywhere that they <laughs> wanted to uh, he has great speed great intangibles and a real knack for football I mean the scouting report I saw I think with NFL draft scout loves ball lives ball was their number one strength with him yeah. and you could get a sense of that you were talking to him I mean how much it really means to him to play this game and you look at it league-wide now, Mike. The top defenses in the league, they have somebody like that. The Tyron Matthews, I mean, the Mike, uh, the Mark Barons, just guys that do everything for a defense. And Fitzpatrick, and, and obviously a lot of these guys have these traits, but it really is the golden era, I think, for safeties, being able to have this amount of versatility, and not only that, but also value now. Yeah, and, and that, that's what I mean when I talk about the value, because in a sense, what we're seeing in terms of the draft stock of players like this is it's a shift. Obviously, there's value in 
versatility because because of injuries out of necessity you know coaches love to be able to move different guys around these type of guys we're not talking about you know versatility just for the sake of versatility we're talking about them being a defensive coordinator's chess piece right. on the board sort of like Clay Matthews is sometimes for the Packers certain pass rushers become you know those chess pieces for defensive coordinators these hyper athletic safeties for for lack of a better phrase these are the guys who might be developing into those those next uh, those next chess pieces for D coordinators don't you think unequivocally and then looking at Derwin James stats just bringing them up 4.74 40, uh, 4.4740, 4.7 would be a little different. Yeah. Uh, 40 inch vertical, 21 reps on the bench press. Are you kidding me? Yeah, for a safety? For, for a guy that's 6'3, 215? Yeah. I mean, that's going to get a lot of teams thinking. Yeah. And, and being able to find these type of guys and develop them, it's not easy. You know, it's going to take some time. And, and sometimes guys are able to come in and adapt to it sooner than others. But with both of them coming from these Power Five conferences and in programs that have such a history in developing these kind of players, I think it's going to help them out in the long run. But I think hearing both of them talk and hearing a lot of these safeties talk this week, and every single person is selling themselves on being able to play both safety spots, being able to play the slot cornerback positions. And if you need me in the box, I'll be there. It's just that those type of intangibles that when when you look now and you get a prospect, you have a guy come in, you don't just have to say, all right, well, he fills that hole. Yeah. That's where he's going to play. No, because sometimes you have a Morgan Burnett already there or a HaHa Clinton Dick. Sometimes guys need to do other things. And I think that's one of the things that makes it most enticing to look at these type of players is because it isn't just one position, it's four or five. Yeah, no doubt about it. With that, we're going to go to another break, back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkiewicz in that one. And Wes, before we go, another defensive back, and I don't mean to beat the subject to death, but another it's guy. It's defensive that, back day. Yeah. Another guy that we do need to talk about, though, and that is Duke Dawson from the University of Florida, uh, Gainesville, the Gators. Yeah. And maybe a name that, uh, that fans don't necessarily recognize, but there's a pretty neat Packer connection with, uh, with Mr. Dawson. Tell us about there it. There is. He's God brothers, uh, with Nick Collins, the former, uh, Packers safety three-time pro bowler, obviously was on his uh, way to having a pretty, you can make an argument for a hall of fame type career yeah. at the time of that neck injury, but he's grown up with Nick Collins in his life. He basically considers him his blood brother. Uh, with just how f- close their families are. I believe the tie-in is that his mother, or Collins's mother is his godmother. I forget how all that works. But regardless, uh, this is a guy that has trained with Nick Collins. He watched every single one of his games when he played from the Packers from beginning, middle, and end. And obviously that includes Super Bowl forty-five, which is one of probably the uh, marquee moments of Collins's career. No doubt. And he, he joked about this too a little bit because his original plan when he was getting ready to go out and you know attempt to you know make this a college career, uh, he was thinking he might end up at like a one double A school like Collins did like a Bethune Cookman or something like that and then the big schools started calling the Alabamas <laughs> the the big schools in the south 
he also joked that his whole goal in life when he was younger is he always wanted to play at Florida State. I don't know if you looked at his bio or not, Mike. He played at Florida instead, had a chance to go down there, visit that campus, and uh, decided to switch his allegiances, and it turned out pretty well for him during his time with the Gators. Yeah, what uh, what are you hearing? What's the uh, the scuttlebutt, so to speak, on uh, just how highly rated a prospect he yeah, is? Yeah, so what's interesting is he's kind of similar. He plays a much, he, he, as he said, he plays a much different position from from Collins, but he's sort of similar in his build a little bit. 5'10", 208, isn't the tallest cornerback in the world. Basically played that nickel slot corner at Florida. So because of that, that specification, he's probably not going to get those round one, maybe round two looks, but a definite middle round prospect that I think a lot of teams are going to be looking at. And as I mentioned in some of the earlier shows, um, with the way that this league has evolved and how spread offenses work, you don't need to necessarily be 6'2 anymore, 5'11 you know, and a quarter uh, in order to get on a team's radars. You're 5'10", sometimes that'll do. Uh, his biggest takeaway, though, from his time with Collins, going back and watching him play while they were at different positions, the type of tackler that Collins was and just how much he, how assertive he was in the open field. That's something he tried to take away from his game and implement it into his own. And now as he prepares for that next level, taking a lot of those lessons uh, that he got from Collins and, and trying to you know, make his own career now and, and show that you know he's... Collins isn't the only one from that that <laughs> branch that that can play. Yeah, and you wonder what a guy like Nick Collins thinks. And I, you know, we've talked about it before. Obviously, how uh, unfortunate it was that his career ended when it did. But going back to our last segment, talking about these versatile safeties and all these different roles these guys are playing. I mean, Nick Collins came out of Bethune Cookman with blazing speed. He, did. he was he was a super fast guy. Had tremendous range as a center fielder, which is why. Uh, Ted Thompson drafted him in the second round, even though he was coming from such a small school. He's certainly a guy who would who would fit right in with what is going on at the safety position in the NFL. Oh my right gosh, now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if if this was 2011, if if you could go back and change history a little bit, uh, how this defense adapted, how this league adapted, I think Nick Collins would have went right along with that, just because he could do so many different things. Mike, he was a ball hawk. He was oh, a guy yeah. that could play in the box. He was a good tackler. Good blitz. The way he blitzed or the way he developed over time it was it was impressive to watch yeah all right well with that we've got to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com on Twitter you can find him at Wes Hod I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account thanks for tuning in everybody we'll see you next time